Welcome to Lacrosse Classified on the LAX All-Stars Podcast Network, presented by Extreme Threads. Your home for the latest news from the National Lacrosse League and Indoor Lacrosse. Now, let's talk some lacrosse with your hosts, Jake Elliott and Evan Schemenauer. All right, lacrosse fans, welcome back to Extreme Threads Lacrosse Classified right here on the Lax All-Stars Podcast Network. Man, oh man, what a week of lacrosse we just saw in the National Lacrosse League in week number 15. Week number 16 is upon us in mere days. We're going to talk about it all right here on Lacrosse Classified. Myself, Jake Elliott, thanks for joining us. And I'll bring my partner in right off the top here, Evan Schemenauer, back on the podcast. Welcome back, Evan. Thank you, thank you, and thank you for letting me expand my lead once again. Thanks so much for that. Yeah, well, the the, the proverbial coin let me down a couple of times. I did get uh, I did get a couple of picks right that you got wrong, but uh, really it was it was Toronto that kind of let me down this weekend. Um, Tough weekend. I thought uh, things would go differently for the Rock, but both Georgia and Buffalo coming out on top. We're going to talk about it here in Stampede Tax, who we had momentarily. Uh, first things first here, man. We've, we've been chatting a little bit, uh, have we and, and some others uh, in our in our NLL chat group. Anyways, um, this, this new video that has gone viral here, Evan, it's been picked up by ESPN and Yahoo and TSN and Bleacher Report and whoever else, which is, which is great. Um, maybe, maybe just give me your general thoughts on it before I share mine. How about that? You know, the one I'm talking about here, the one with that, the high school, let me just lay it out here for you, Evan, the high school game that clearly, you know, one team is better than the other by a wide margin and just for a little bit of context here for the people the game I believe at this time is 21 to 6 for the team that pulls this off and it's a I mean it's a cool video I I, I'll grant you that um my original I'm gonna let you speak here Evan but anyways four behind the back or three behind the back passes and a behind the back shot for a goal at the high school level, in a game that was a blowout against a team that was clearly overmatched. Uh, your general thoughts on the video, Evan? Tough one for me. Uh, I, I can look at it in both lenses. And I know a lot of people were, let the kids be kids, or any publicity for lacrosse is great, which is has an element of truth, and I, I don't deny that. And the truth of the matter is, are you going to try four behind-the-back passes when you're in a 10-7 game? No, right? I mean, this was something where the situation dictated it. The other side of me looks at it as like, okay, if this was 10 years ago, that would have been a line draw. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's, a, there's a clear, there's a very thin line between making something look spectacular and showing up your opponent and I don't fault people for reacting either way to it. I think maybe it was a little over the top, but anytime you can sell the game, you know what? Do it. Okay. I For me, if you think that 
by watching somebody stumbling across this video going, oh man, look at that. How cool is that? I'm going to sign my kid up and play lacrosse and I'm going to start going to PLL games or NLL games or WLAO games because I just saw uh, that video. I think you're dreaming. And and I, for me, the part of it that, that kind of gets me is that why is that the video that goes viral what is it about that video that makes people go holy look at that let's let's share that with the world when i could literally pull up 40 goals from ncaa or the nll or whatever lacrosse that were way better than that and and to me the problem that i have with it first of all I can get down with the two first behind the back passes, like off the face-off guy, and then the one from from the point down to the crease. It's the second, it's the third one that is completely unnecessary, and, and the the shot that is even more ridiculous to attempt. And, and what bothers me about this more than anything is that it was orchestrated. It was clearly staged. If you watch the one defender, he's like he's so overmatched, he's chasing the ball around like a lost puppy. So clearly the team has not been coached properly, and, and these guys are way overmatched. And these this high school team, whoever it is, I don't even really care who it is, decided to get together before the faceoff and said, hey, boys, we're up 21-6 to six here. Let's try this and do this next time and make this team look stupid. It's a high school lacrosse game, and one team didn't even really belong on the field with the other because they were so overmatched. And then you want to disrespect them and the sport by pulling this crap off? Like, if if that's the kind of video that you need to see to enjoy lacrosse, then then keep moving because there's way better stuff out there. And I just I can't understand why it's this that attracts people, or or even the the guy that you know broke the kid's ankles and then waves at him before. He went to goal. Like, man, like, uh, you're right. Ten years ago, I'm taking my stick and probably clocking the guy in the head and, and saying, don't do that again because that's just stupid. And it, and I don't, like, I just can't understand why people are attracted to a video like that that's clearly orchestrated and disrespecting a team that's clearly overmatched wow. uh, just to attract eyes to the sport. That's not the way I want attention on lacrosse. No, but I mean, in this day and age of social media, what goes viral and what doesn't could be the tiniest thing, and you never know which one is going to go which way. It's one of those things that you, over time you learn just you know what works and what doesn't. If it's if it's my team, I'm coaching high school. I'm those players on, are getting I benched. But I, I'm I'm working on some play or some aspect of the game we want to work on a little bit. Uh, you know, running a longer possession just so we don't embarrass them too much. That's me, but I get it. You know, kids I don't get have fun too. I don't get it. I, you want to have fun? Go do that at the lacrosse box. Do that during practice. Do do that. You know, when you're having fun out on a Sunday afternoon playing with your buddies. Uh, doing it in a game that's a blowout game. Like, if I'm the coach of that, I don't know if the coach was a part of it or not. But if my players did that in that situation right there. They're getting benched for, you know, the next half of the next game for being completely disrespectful to the other team and the sport of lacrosse. That's not what it's about. And I may have the unpopular opinion. I may be in the minority. I may be old school when it comes to that. But to me, like celebrating that video going, look at how cool this is. That was a complete joke. And it's a trash video in my opinion. So there you go. Um... 
that's that's my opinion on it. I'm glad you got yours out there as well. And I don't really care if I'm in the minority and have an unpopular opinion when it comes to that. I thought it was really disrespectful and, and stupid, uh, quite frankly. Teach the fundamentals. Teach respecting the game and respecting your opponent and move along. Okay, Evan, um, seven games in week 15, a monster week in the National Lacrosse League. I think that's the high watermark for games in a single week at seven. So we got to run this down. We got a big show coming up. You didn't remind me again, but we got a big <laughs> show coming up. Uh, coming up first, to decide we're going to flip our guests around here. We're going to get to the man. The 10's goal for the Colorado Mammoth, one of them anyways. Uh, Dylan Ward would be the other one. But we're going to have Steve Deepfryer coming on the podcast here today. I uh, can't wait to talk to Deepsea. So he will join us here in about 10 to 15 minutes time. And then I think we, we may be running long here today, Evan. Uh, quite frankly, I'm a little I'm running a little hot today after, after that discussion on, on Twitter. It's been a little while since I've had some beef on the old Twitterverse. Uh, so it's got it's got me a little fired up, and I think we're going to have a long, extended conversation here because there's a lot of questions that I want answered, as I'm sure you do, as I'm sure a lot of no, fans uh, do. More than a few, yeah. So a uh, general counsel for the Professional Lacrosse Players Association, Jason Jaros, will sign uh, will join us here coming up in about half an hour's time. So clear your uh, schedule up here for the next hour and a half or so because I think we're we're going to run a little long with Mr. Jaros uh, coming up here shortly um, after we talk to Steve Fryer, after we talk about the seven games that just happened in the National Lacrosse League here on Stampede Tax, who we had... Your complete source for boots, hats, belts, jeans, and anything country. They ship Canada-wide. They're located in Cloverdale since 1967. Find them online at stampede.ca, where shopping online is still shopping local. And uh, Um, I should probably start going through the catalog a little bit, Evan. Maybe pick out (laughs) uh, my favorite hat, uh, my belt buckle, and maybe some spurs to go on my boots, uh, because I'm I'm slipping behind a little bit more as we move along here. Before we get started, just give me me the updated standings, the overall standings here. Go ahead. Well, well, I'm glad a few people actually uh, showed up and... uh, Started to give us the pictures what you're going to look like, and mm-hmm. yeah. uh, we got a nice we, prize to hand out. Should we do that now? Let's do that now. Let's do that now. Uh, yeah, we had a had a few entries there. Brad Challer actually had a very nice one. You looking like Garth Brooks? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very simple. He was the very front elegant. runner. He was the front runner for a little bit. He was bit. the front runner, but then he got beat at the end by David Salisbury from Melford, Saskatchewan. How about who that? Who had you looking like a uh, Mexican cowboy there? Yeah, the old. Uh, <laughs> Good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, Clint Eastwood, uh, kind of a get up there. So if you want to see that, it's it's on my it's on my timeline. You can you can find that. Uh, David Salisbury, congratulations! You have won the prize pack from Stampede Tech uh, Blundstone merchandise coming your way. Uh, we'll be in touch. We'll figure out how to get that to you. And uh, congratulations. And speaking of which, I still haven't even updated the standings. Oh yeah. Okay. Here we <laughs> go. So I went four and three, which is actually a poor week for me. But I'm fifty and twenty four overall. You went three and four. Um, it came down to the final game of the see who would gain ground this week, and yeah, uh, you yeah. couldn't pull it off. No. So you're forty five and twenty nine. You're five games back, and we got what four weeks remaining? Five weeks remaining? Yeah. Yeah, the hole got a little deeper. The hole got a little deeper. Uh, I may change up my strategy this week. I know I'm going to be hosting who we who you got uh, coming up later. So 
Um, I'm going to give that some thought here on, on what I'm going to do. I might just like pick all home teams or all road teams this week, or I might go with all coin picks or just my all my own picks. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do yet, but we'll figure it out. But let's go through these quickly here because uh, we got to get to we got to get to my man deep. Um, seven big ones on the docket. First up was Toronto at Georgia. Having this game, uh, man, 14-5 the final for the Swarm. I, like this, this just wasn't close. <laughs> and what a performance by Mike Poulin. <laughs> like the guy was in a different on a different planet that night, just making stop after stop. Because Toronto was getting shots, just not maybe the best quality shots, but they, you know, he was stopping everything left, right, and center. No Adam Jones. I don't know what the story is there. Now it's not unusual. He's missing a Friday night uh, on the road because he's teaching. Um, but the left side was just absolutely atrocious. It's tough to say what's going to happen uh, going forward. These thoughts five and five. The Thompsons both having massive assist nights. One thing I'm really happy about is that um, now they announced 79 attendance, but it actually looked like it was about 33,500. 3, it was better than normal for Georgia, so that's a good sign. But the other thing now is Georgia's two games up on Toronto for second place and have the season series. So that pretty much now starts to lock in a home playoff game for Georgia at the Minimum. Yeah, that was a big win there for the Swarm. I think Toronto actually outshot Georgia that game, and you're right. Uh, Adam Jones has been conspicuously missing from the Rock lineup for like the better part of a month now, and we're still really not sure what's going on with Adam Jones because he didn't play on the Saturday night against the Buffalo Bandits either, which we will get to here uh, momentarily. But another Friday night game. There was three Friday night games last week, and Colorado at Vancouver. I was at this game, Evan. And it started off quite well for the Vancouver Warriors. They scored on their first two, actually scored on their first three shots, but a, a backdoor crease violation uh, that really had nothing to do with the goal wiped out that third goal on the third shot. And it was a shaky start for Dylan Ward, but man, oh man, did Wardo ever settle down <laughs> into that game because he only allowed five the rest of the way. As the Mammoth pull away in this one, they win it 11-7 in a game that featured another over-the-shoulder beauty from Kyle Killen. Uh, and, of course, we've got to talk about the flourishing. Mm. Mm. <laughs> we've, been, we've been grinding Teddy Jenner about this. He talked about the flourishing uh, Mammoth offense on uh, the, the flash last week and uh, we're trying to get him to say it on the air with uh, no luck, unfortunately. Um, yeah, game of the year for Dylan Ward. I was actually a little surprised because after that one, I was like, how can they not start Ward, but hey, props to them. They went to Fryer in the second game. Don't give it all um, away, Evan. Don't give it all away. But, uh, you know, the other thing I take from this, Ryan Lee was 4-3, and three, and I think back to this past July where not only was he not protected in the expansion draft, but he wasn't selected, mm. and boy, was that a big miss <laughs> on that part. Kid's absolutely phenomenal. Yep, he's having a year, no doubt about it. Uh, let's move along here. Saskatchewan at San Diego, and might have been the game of the week here. This one was a heck of a lacrosse game here between the Rush and the Seals. Uh, Saskatchewan trailing the most of the way and had a couple of breakaways in the late going, had a crossbar from Benny Mack kind of near the buzzer. Can't 
get to level terms, uh, San Diego first place in the West, and they extend their lead with a 13-12 victory and even up the season series against Saskatchewan now with 13-12 victory down at Pachanga Arena. What a game. Yeah, and the Rush have lost two massively close games. Although, in my mind, they were they had their heads in the game for parts of the game, but not the whole time. And that's not their normal 60 minutes of concentration that you see out of them. Um, Adam shoots. Heard all kinds of mixed reactions about it. Yeah, he let in a few softies, but he also made some massive stops when they needed him, especially down the stretch. Uh, would it be nice to have Edwin Kirk back in the lineup? Sure. But, you know, he's not doing that bad of a job. Um, well, to me, you know, Evan, it's, 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 you know, it's Adam, Adam Shoot has shown the ability that he can be a goalie in this league. No question about it. But you want to see Adam Shoot make all the saves that he should make and then make some spectacular saves on top of that. Unfortunately, right now for Adam Shoot, he's making spectacular saves and he's making most of the ones that he should stop. Yeah. But it's the ones that are coming from goal line extended, late in shot clocks from well out, where maybe right. he's lacking a little bit of focus and concentration. And those ones always, they feel like two goals are going in against you. You're like just paddling upstream when your goaltender is letting in soft goals. So that's something that Adam Shute is going to need to clean up uh, moving forward here. You just can't afford to let in softies like that. The other thing to take from this game, Garrett Billings mm. is on a whole new level right now. What, it was only one goal, but nine assists. And those nine assists, if you look back on them, it was really the assist that set, that was the goal. Because he's finding somebody wide open that's not even in the peripheral vision of anybody else. Yeah. And he's he's just playing on another planet right now. A little Good bit. on him for, for guys been away from the game for a while. Well, a little, yeah, he did take a year off to become a firefighter, but he was kind of on his way out the door with Jamie Batley and Doug Locker. Couldn't play, couldn't make that team there in Vancouver under Jamie Batley, and um, you know he wasn't getting in the lineup. And man, you look back on that and just go like, what? What? <laughs> you know, like he he steps back and it maybe took him one or two games to kind of find his rhythm and since then he's just been uh firing on all cylinders looking like the old Garrett Billings that was putting up 100 points with the Toronto Rock uh a handful of years ago. So another impressive win for San Diego. They are for real and that could very well be a Western Division final uh preview if things uh go according to plan. All right, we get into Saturday's action here, and New England goes into Philadelphia, and the Wings, my Wings, Evan, that I picked Philadelphia, 13-8 the final over the Black Wolves, who just really could never get it started in this one. And the thing here was, we were talking about this right around halftime. Philly went on a massive run to end the, sec- the end of the first half. They're up, I believe, about five. And we're all sitting there thinking, it's like, until this final buzzer goes, none of us are going to believe that they're actually going to win this game. This time, they actually held off New England for a little while. New England got a couple, and then they finally turned on the afterburners. So that was really the key. New England, their offense really only went through three sticks, Resiteritz, LeBlanc, and Digby. And really, the rest of the team wasn't contributing like all, virtually nothing. 
So they got to get that fixed. Although Callum Crawford now coming back a game later, which mm, we, we'll get to later on. Yes, but, uh, yeah. we're not going to spend any time on Callum Crawford right now because we're going to spend a lot of time on Callum Crawford uh, coming up with Jason Jaros uh, in a little bit here. So big win there for Philadelphia, who actually, uh, you know, they were impressive. <laughs> and I just I go back to it, man. Like I, you just wonder where this team would be if if they could actually finish off some games but they looked really determined in that game that they weren't going to let that happen again and they come up with a win over the black wolves actually get the season series with the black wolves winning two games to one against them this season uh the second game of a three game season series between the toronto rock and buffalo remember toronto coming off that tough defeat against georgia they come out in this game and they pop in four right in the first quarter lead at four nothing after the first 15 minutes, Evan, but then they go like 30-plus minutes without scoring a goal. And it's not like Buffalo lit it up either. Matt Vince was good. Nick Rose was good. Josh Byrne returned to the Bandits. But a low-scoring defensive battle in front of a huge crowd in Banditland. 8-6, Bandits keep it rolling over the rock. Yeah, a bit of a sleeper here. No, the one thing I look at this game, Buffalo's gone 3-1 and one in its last four games. And I can't say I was particularly impressed with any of those four efforts. Maybe a little bit lucky to have the record they have right now. They looked terrible when they were in Philly. They lost the next night against Georgia. They didn't have their best effort other than Matt Vince stealing the show in Saskatchewan. And this one, probably a little lucky that they had a tired team without Adam Jones. And they did enough. Toronto... They've literally now kind of cemented themselves as a third place with the performance this week. I mean, you picked them twice, but could you have possibly imagined? You thought, okay, yeah. maybe they'll get 11 total. 10 goals total. Game. 10 to- or 11 yeah. total. Excuse 11, me. Yeah, 11 yeah. total between two games. Yeah. Absolutely unbelievable from an offense with that much firepower. Yeah, Vancouver only with 11 goals total in two games as well this weekend. And, um, yeah, you know what? They've they've missed Reed Reinhold all year long on that left side. There's no question about that. And then you take Adam Jones off that left side as well. Um, Dan Taylor not on that left side anymore as well. And you just, like, no disrespect to Brandon Slade and Dan Craig and even Johnny Paulus over there who kind of has to become the number one guy, Kieran McCardle. It's just not enough uh, on that left side for Toronto right now. And, and Adam Jones cannot get back quick enough because, it just, like, the defense can just – pretty much focus in on Hellier and and Schreiber and not really have to worry too much about the left side beating you without Jones in there. So um, I don't know what the prognosis is with Jonesy. They're going to need Jones back in their lineup because uh, I don't see him going too far without him. Two more games to cover here before we get to Steve Fryer, Evan Schemenauer, and it was Calgary making the long trip uh, across the continent into Rochester, New York to take on the Hawks. we were both kind of tempted to take the Nighthawks in this one. We didn't. We both took Calgary, and it turned out to be the right call as the Nighthawks uh, just couldn't get it done. Curtis Dixon with a big night, 12-9, roughies over the Hawks. And a disappointing second half, really, for Rochester. They, they got one, I believe, 13, 14 seconds into the second half, so they were up 8-6 and scored one the rest of the way. Just not enough. Unfortunately, Chris Bushy couldn't follow up on his performance from last week. Just one assist in the game. Although Jake Withers, guy continues to amaze me. 21-25. When you're facing Tyler Burton, who's no easy feat in the face-off circle, 
Curtis Dixon with a massive night, and he seemed to just like literally there was that one play where when he bounced off of a four defenders, yeah, on his way to the net, uh, you know, so he was he was on top of things. Uh, Christian Del Bianco with a huge, huge night because um, Rochester outshot Calgary fifty-seven forty-one in this one, and the power play is what were combined eight for nine or something mm-hmm. crazy, but. Uh, yeah, in the end of the day, Rochester just couldn't put in the second-half performance they needed. It's a developing team. You're not expecting much at this stage. Just take your lumps as they come, I guess. Yeah, and we tried to get uh, Curtis Dixon on the program here. Uh, didn't didn't respond, didn't didn't even uh, answer back. So uh, I'm not sure what to, to make of that. And that usually doesn't happen very often, but uh, it is what it is. And Final game, <laughs> Vancouver at Colorado, and uh, man, oh man, this uh, this was uh, an exercise in futility here a little bit for the Warriors, Evan, and in a game where really their season was on the line, uh, they had to win this game to kind of keep their playoff hopes alive, and they might have played their worst game since coming to Vancouver uh, in either a Warriors or a Stealth jersey, 14 for the final in a game that featured another beautiful goal over the shoulder from Kyle Killen. Yeah, the kid's just absolutely stunning. One fan had told us this, and the comment really rings true, is that down the stretch here, the Warriors have become the stealth of old, and it's unfortunate. You know, Vancouver started Aaron Bold. We talked about this pregame. I agreed with the decision. I thought that a fresh Aaron Bold would be better than a tired Eric Penny. Boldy just did not have it in that opening half. Um, what was surprising to me, Evan, is how long they, they left him in there for the entire game. Like, what was it at halftime? Like 10 to 3 or something? And they, I didn't expect him to come out for the second half, but he played the full 60, and I'm not sure why. No. I don't know no, why. I, I, I actually agree with that because. You know, if you're if you're nothing's working, you're you're almost in a situation where game's over. Let's prepare for the next one. Let's not tire out our starter. Yeah. So I really don't mind that as much. But uh, I don't know, buy the whole getting tired. I don't buy the whole getting tired as the starter. Really, you're a professional athlete. If you can't play a back to back in this league, like you're not you're not in good enough shape because you have to do that in the National Lacrosse League. And if, and if you're not physically fit enough to do it, then get in better shape. But here's the other thing to take away from this game. We were sitting there talking pregame and thinking Dylan Ward's got to start this game. He just had the game in his career. Mm. This, they're, they're in a game where literally now it's win and you're in. And we're getting word that the plan is is to start Steve Fryer. That's been the plan from the start. But you know what? Fryer made the most of his opportunity. What an absolute game from him. Uh, Stunning. And for a guy that doesn't get much action, he maybe gets a game or two a year at best. And he took full advantage of this, and he woke a lot of people up just as how good he he can be. Well, I'll tell you what. uh, If I'm a GM of the Riptide or the new Nighthawks, I'm looking at Steve Fryer and going, I think he might be the best backup in the league right now after that performance. And I disagreed with the the decision from Pat Coyle to, to start Steve Fryer. I thought... Dylan Ward was going to get the nod, and and deservedly so, but uh, that's why I'm doing a podcast, and Pat Coyle is going to be on Team Canada's bench 
come September for the World Championships. He's a better coach than I am and obviously pushed the right button and Steve Fryer did not let him down. Hey, Evan, I got an idea. Why don't we talk to Steve Fryer about that performance that he had at the Loud House a couple of nights ago? He'll join us on the other side here on Extreme Threads Lacrosse Classified on the Lax All-Stars Podcast Network. Associated Labels and Packaging is in the business of creating first impressions. They'll help you reflect your company values accurately by offering solutions that fit your product needs. With the latest in printing technology and over 35 years of experience, Associated Labels and Packaging is the perfect fit for your company to take your labels and packaging to the next level. Hey, this is Glenn Clark, the head coach of the New England Black Wolves. You're listening to Lacrosse Classified on the Lax All-Stars Podcast Network. All right, lacrosse fans, welcome back to Lacrosse Classified here on the Lacrosse All-Stars Podcast Network, where we grow the game one podcast at a time. Thanks to our friends at Associated Labels and Packaging, my man Sean Ashworth and company. Down there at Associated Labels and Packaging in beautiful Coquitlam, British Columbia. Find them online at associated-labels.com. Their social media is Associated LP. And what they do, well, obviously they do labels and packaging, but they create first impressions and creating his first impression. You see how I did that, Steve? That is a segue. That's what they call a segue right there. Steve, deep fire <laughs> on the podcast, creating a first impression because it's your first time on the podcast. Deep. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Jake. My pleasure. Our pleasure. Uh, down in beautiful Denver, Colorado, here on uh, what is a Monday evening as we record Lacrosse Classified. Uh, what is what does Steve Fryer do when he's not playing lacrosse for the Colorado Mammoth down there in Denver? Uh, so yeah, so I uh, relocated this year, moved up to Denver for the season, and uh, so when when I'm not on the floor, I'm usually uh, hanging out with a few teammates or. Uh, uh, going to the gym with our trainer, or uh, also growing the game myself. We uh, we kind of been going around to almost every uh, middle school and uh, grades like one to five, uh, teaching the game in their gym classes. So, uh, so yeah, they've been keeping me busy, and I've been having a lot of fun doing it. One of the things that I hear a lot when I talk to other players about you is just perseverance and how happy they are for you because. You're, you got drafted, you had a shot in Philly, didn't pan out. You spend years on the practice roster trying to get back into the league in Toronto. Finally, the door opens in Colorado, but you're behind who I think is the best goaltender in the game, Dylan Ward. And you get limited opportunities to play. How is it, you know, what has been the motivating factor over these last six, seven years to keep that dream alive? I mean, well, first of all, I was pretty, uh, pretty fortunate to uh, to have uh, good boys in front of me to learn from, guys like uh, Brandon Miller, Nick Rose, um, and again, like you said, now, in my opinion, too, I do have one of the best goalies in the game in front of me that I can learn from, and uh, yeah, um, when when you look at it, you know, some guys really take a, a few years, five, six, seven, eight years to kind of find their groove, and some guys, like Dylan, just, just happens for them right away, um, so uh Again, I'm just biding my time here, and uh, as a backup, you just you just always got to be ready. But uh, obviously, there's going to be expansion and whatnot coming forward, so I don't know what that brings. But I'm just uh, I'm just focused on the season right now, and then see what the future holds. What do you think you have learned from from Dylan Ward, Steve? Pardon? What do you think you have learned from Dylan Ward in your time in Colorado? Uh, well, uh, the one thing he really really calms you down when I actually do get to play. 
And um, I just, uh, even how good he is, uh, I just say little things to him on the bench, and he actually, he actually takes me, and he just be a sponge, and uh, just, and uh, again, just, just little tendencies does help me out a lot too, because um, I think we are the only two in the league. Um, so, so yeah, just, just little tendencies uh, like where I am in the net, and uh, again, when I actually do get a chance to play, he's always the first guy there calming me down and uh, and pumping me up. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, being his teammate for the last two years. Do you think that's one of the best goal- games of goaltender you've ever played? Uh, well, uh, I'd have to say so. Uh, but I mean, our defense uh, played played really well. They were giving giving me a lot of shots that I wanted to see, and obviously that helps with my confidence, especially early. But uh, and again, to our offense it was firing in all cylinders. So, uh, so yeah, I, I I would say probably one of my better performances I've ever had. But uh, I I hope I can just keep that going when I get a chance again. And it has to be a huge confidence booster because you played Friday night in Vancouver. Dylan has probably the best game of his season. You're coming back to Colorado. It's winning your end night. This is the, probably the most critical game of the season. And yet, Pat Coyle's got the confidence to go to you and, and give you the reins. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, did, I didn't want to think about it that way because, uh, you know, I was just trying to just, just, treat it, just treat it like another game. Uh, just one possession at a time. But obviously, it's it's sitting in the back of your head. You know, you know what's on the line. But uh, again, Patty giving me the nod it also gave me that much that much more confidence that he had the faith in me to to put me in there when the, when what was at stake. And uh, and again, I, and I think that I think that showed as I played. I feel like I was a little nervous in the beginning. But uh, and again, Patty all game long was was giving me giving me more confidence. And uh, and luckily, we pulled out the win. When did you know you were going to get the start, Steve? Uh, I was. He told me after the game in Calgary. So uh, after the game, uh, I saw him after, and we, he was actually watching uh, another game. And I just kind of walked up, was looking at the score, and he just said, "Hey, by the way, uh, you're gonna you're gonna start next Saturday night." And I said, "Okay, thank you very much. Look <laughs> forward you, to it." Do you? And as a goaltender, like goalies are kind of different, like that. They some goalies don't like to know. Some goalies like to find out on game day. Some guys like to know a week in advance. Does it matter to you when when you get that nod or that tap that you're going to be in, or do you just kind of wait for it and, and take it when it comes? Um, I mean, in my earlier days, I, I kind of was, uh, I kind of was a little, a uh, little weird like that. I always wanted to know, but, uh, I mean, now, now being in my position for as long as I have, uh, I got to always be ready. Even if, uh, you know, if I'm not starting, something can happen in warmups, something can happen early in the game, Gabe could be not going our way. So I've just, I've just taught myself now to just, just always be ready. And, uh, whenever I get the chance, just again, just go in, uh, one state, one possession at a time and, and, and just go from there. I think back to about two, three weeks ago, things were not looking good for the Mammoth. I know Jake even had you guys dead last in his power rankings back then. And all of a sudden, now we got three wins in a row. What has changed in the confidence of this team that have, the results have come all of a sudden? We're picking up, uh, picking up the acquisitions we did. I know uh, losing a guy like Vinesh is tough, but uh, picking up Vitarelli, I think, I think it's been good for us. He's been, uh, been really helping out uh, like a, our lefties, Eli McLaughlin, uh, Chris Wardle, and uh, Jeff Whitted. but uh, and also too picking up uh, picking up a solid stay-at-home D guy like uh, Ian Lord is uh, was huge for us. And I mean, uh, right right away he made an impact. Even in that first game he played, uh, he stopped you know he stopped the last shot with about 30 seconds left to seal the win for us. But I mean, that's just the kind of player he is, and I think that's what we needed. And uh, obviously, adding him to Envidarelli gives us a bit more size, both on the front and back end. But uh, I think it was more of a little reality check too, right? That uh, the guys are like, you know, every, basically everyone was kind of on the bubble. So uh, I think that kind of 
brought us a bit closer together too once once the trades were done and uh, and like i said they both came in they're great team guys and uh, great in the room and uh again it showed in the last three games and i uh, like we're playing our, our best lacrosse right now and i think it's uh it's a good time for us to be doing that speaking with the deep one steve fryer here on lacrosse classified and and like Ryan Lee is is having a great season. The rookie Kyle Killen has kind of come out of nowhere and opened a bunch of eyeballs. But to me, it's it's Eli McLaughlin's kind of offense now, especially with the departure of Ryan Benesh. He had kind of taken another step to start the year, but it almost seems like since Benesh has been traded, it's kind of like, all right, now this is my offense. And he's just taken his game to another level again. How good is Eli McLaughlin? Uh, I mean, uh, when he's when he's shooting on me at practice, there's there's some practices, uh, you know, he's 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 always dialed in, and I'm I'm fortunate enough to be able to be taking shots from a from a guy of that caliber. But uh, no, it's it, honestly it's it's fun to watch, and every game he he seems to be getting better and better, and I think that's coming with his confidence too. But uh, again, another another great team guy. He's, it's just all it's all about team with him too, and uh, and like and like I said, it could be he could score five goals in a game, or he could score zero goals in a game. To him, it's just if we. Uh, we get the win on the scoreboard, and that's and that's huge for our team having guys like that. But yeah, no, he's uh, yeah, he's playing like a freak right now, in my opinion. But uh, yeah, he's, he's we got four games left, and it's it's going to be fun. Hopefully, he carries that into into a playoff run here. I got to ask you uh, about Deep Yoki. This was something I loved last year. I was sad to actually the balance haven't brought it back. But for the <laughs> listeners that haven't seen this before, last year they got you and a few of your two teammates to put on uh, earphones, listen to a song. I believe you were singing Total by Africa. <laughs> and just, you belted it out. You didn't care if you were in tune. But it was phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, again, meet those media days. You just kind of you kind of want to have fun with it, right? Uh, it's more or less for the fans, too, but also gives us a little chance to kind of, you know, just be loose. And, uh, and yeah, started out with uh, one song, then I ended up singing two. But, uh yeah, again, if I'm getting called upon, I'm going to put my best effort forward, right? So, Absolutely. Well, uh, before we let you go here, uh, Deep, um, I heard little Birdie told me uh, there might be some plans to come west this summer and maybe put the old black and blue back on. Uh, is, is Can you confirm or deny uh, these, these rumors? I believe it's in the works right now, but... Uh, Nothing official yeah, yet? Yeah, I... Uh, I, I Nothing's official yet, no. But uh, again, I, I'm gonna have a, I, I have a chance to be a starting goalie uh, out for out in Langley this summer, and uh, you know, I just I want to be playing. So um, hopefully, if things work out, that's actually what I'm I'm planning on doing. But uh, but yeah, so you'll probably be seeing me a lot this summer, Dick. Well, I will look forward to that, and uh, I'm sure I'm gonna see you in Saskatchewan before the summer rolls around. Uh, Steve, I appreciate you taking a little time to join us here on Lax Class and continued success, my man. And uh, we'll we'll right. talk to you sooner than later. Thanks, Jake. We'll see you soon. Appreciate it. That was Steve Deep Fryer, goaltender for the Colorado Mammoth, and apparently coming west to play for the Langley Thunder in the WLA this summer. So uh, we'll look forward to that. And uh, the rush, Evan, uh, still two more matchups to go with the Mammoth uh, this season. It's going to be fun lacrosse here coming down the backstretch. Yeah, and the four, the four teams that are realistically in the playoffs are fairly tight. San Diego's got a little bit of leeway, but 
anybody can still pull off first. Anybody can still pull off fifth. So nothing's decided yet. Absolutely. And you wouldn't want it any other way. So uh, let's get to break here, Evan, because on the other side, we have the general counsel for the Professional Lacrosse Players Association, Jason Jaros, who was front and center for the appeal of one Callum Crawford, who had his five-game suspension reduced to one. We're going to find out why here on the other side. Stick around. This is Extreme Threads Lacrosse Classified on the Lacrosse All-Stars Podcast Network. Serving the business and sports community since 2018, Extreme Threads provides custom design apparels around the world. Specializing in lacrosse, they deliver exceptional quality and service, customizing box and field team apparel and uniforms. Extreme Threads offers free design work and takes the time to ensure you get exactly what you need for your team or club. Contact Extreme Threads at sales at extremethreads.ca for your custom apparel needs today. Hey, this is Dane Dolby from the Calgary Roughnecks. You're listening to Lacrosse Classified on Lax All-Stars. Growing the game one podcast at a time. All right, lacrosse fans, welcome back to Lacrosse Classified here on Lax All-Stars. Jake Elliott, Evan Schemenauer, and now joined by Professional Lacrosse Players Association General Counsel Jason Jaros. Uh, Before we get started here, Jason, I just wanted to read off the final two paragraphs of the hearing officer's ruling in the Callum Crawford appeal. So bear with me here for a second while I read this to the fans. I do not find any intent to inflict harm by Mr. Crawford and do not believe that the league has just cause to suspend this 14-year veteran from playing in almost 30% of the season, 5 of 18 games. Beyond the match penalty suspension already served, the league intent behind the repeat offender rule is a necessary one to prevent unnecessary injury caused by reckless and endangering play. But I do not see that in this case here. As in his testimony from the league, Mr. Lemon explained how he did not believe the foul should result in a two-game penalty, one reserved for more severe infractions. The decision to lessen Mr. Crawford's additional five-game suspension in no way diminishes the league's mission to eliminate reckless and endangering play, nor does it undermine the league's authority. After a review of the totality of the evidence... In my testimony, it is my opinion that Mr. Crawford's one-game match penalty be upheld an additional one-game suspension for his status as a repeat offender assessed. <laughs> Before we get into all that, I just kind of wanted to get that in off the top because that is Andrew Brandt, who we efforted to get onto the podcast. He declined to come on. That was his ruling in the appeal. So, Jason, I want to start with you and ask you exactly... How does the appeal process work from start to finish? Uh, sure, I'd be glad to answer that. Um, the uh, The appeal process uh, is contained in the collective bargaining agreement. Uh, it's the It's been in the the agreement for for twenty years. Um, essentially, uh, when a player is uh, uh, is disciplined, um, whether it be a, a fine or a suspension. Um, Either for a violation of, let's say, the uh, NLL rulebook, or uh, a violation of uh, um, some um, uh, conduct that uh, could be considered detrimental uh, to the uh, to the league. For example, off-field, uh, an off-field incident. 
Um, the player is served with uh, what's called the notice of discipline uh, with a penalty. Um, the players association uh, would get a copy of that. Um, uh, in the event that there is a an appeal of the discipline, uh, the matter uh, is then presented to a uh, uh, an independent uh, uh, hearing officer or, or arbitrator uh, for a ruling on the uh, on the discipline. So one of the frustrations I've heard from fans for many many years is the length that this process plays out, and by the time we had a final decision in the Crawford case, almost four weeks had elapsed from the point where the incident happened. And trying to find out why it takes such a long time, because we get to a situation where, you know, the games happens Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We don't get a decision on the discipline until Thursday night, Friday morning. Almost every time it gets appealed, then we get into the player's going to play the following week. Then maybe it gets dropped the following week. Maybe it doesn't. And then it takes another couple of weeks before this even gets heard. And I've heard the term suspension shopping out there quite a bit. The player's kind of deciding when he wants to sit. Why does it just take so long for all this to happen? Well, uh, I will say in the Crawford case, uh, it probably took... Uh, perhaps a few more days uh, or longer than it ordinarily would. But uh, you have a number of factors. Uh, first of all, uh, the the review uh, by the league may take uh, some time uh, and analysis. Uh, there's, uh, you know, an investigation that has to be performed, uh, including uh, review of video and witness statements and the like. And then a decision uh, is made that may take a, a few days uh, the then the uh, discipline is imposed, and then the materials uh, are everything that the league considered uh, in its investigation is then turned over to the players' association uh, for its review to determine uh, whether or not uh, it will uh, appeal, uh, whether it has grounds to appeal. Uh, so that may take uh, some time, and then. Uh, most of the uh, time is really dependent upon the hearing officer's uh, schedule. Um, so you have a, a hearing officer has, who has to have an available date. They try to make themselves readily available. You have counsel uh, for the league uh, who has to make himself available, uh, myself. Um, and then um, you have witnesses uh, who all have to be available. So... We, we try to move these things as fast as we can. Uh, sometimes it takes a little bit longer than the parties would like, uh, but that's really sort of the nature of the beast. Um, Speaking with Jason Jaros, uh, Jason, it, is the appeal process not an automatic one? So you guys decide what to appeal or when to appeal, or is it just if a player gets suspended, there's going to be an appeal process? Well, um it's a matter of semantics, I guess, because when discipline is issued on any player, uh, the union has um, a short time in which to file a written appeal. So, um, but it literally it, it literally is, happens every time. Like there, I haven't seen a case where you guys don't appeal, and maybe you appeal and then go, you know what, we're not going to win this one. Let's drop the appeal. But the appeal process gets put in motion every time, does it not? 
Well, there, there's a reason for it, because we, we, there's such a short window in which to file the, the appeal uh, in writing that that is generally an automatic, and it's simply done to preserve uh, those time limits. And then it buys the uh, Players Association time for it to receive the materials mm. from the league. It gives them an opportunity to review it. So the actual uh, technical filing of the appeal uh, is nothing more than, um, uh, again, to preserve time limits. Okay. Uh, what really matters is, is after the uh, Players Association makes its review and then determines whether or not it will withdraw the appeal, which incidentally occurs in the vast majority of disciplinary cases, including uh, suspensions, or whether it will uh, present the case to a hearing officer. Mm, but not in this one. Um, how is the arbitrator, the independent arbitrator, selected? Uh, the, the, the arbitrators are mutually selected by the parties. But, and by parties, you mean? I mean the, the league and the players association. Okay, so the actual team, the Black Wolves, don't really have a say in who the arbitrator is. It comes from the league office and the Players Association. That's correct. And is there a panel of arbitrators that you select from, or do you just have a bunch of names and go, let's go with this guy this time, or how does that process work? Yeah, currently there are two hearing officers on the panel, uh, and they hear cases on a rotating basis. They alternate. Okay, um, but there's just two The names right have now. changed over the last 20 years, but th there's always a panel in place. Um but there's only two guys on that panel right now. Currently, that's correct. Okay. Okay. Let's take a look here at um, the differences, because obviously there was a precedent set already with Greg Harnett, and you know he got a reduction just because of the ambiguity of the written rule, which got changed after the fact. But he still got five games, and the arbitrator ruled that 41-4 was applicable and... He needs to serve the games. What's different in the evidence between what happened with Harnett, which, to be frankly honest, was a borderline match penalty, in my opinion, and Callum Crawford, who was a very obvious match penalty, but you know, all of a sudden he gets the reduction where Harnett doesn't. Well, uh, first of all, they're, they're, they're two different situations, two different incidents, and so... Um, naturally, you may have uh, different outcomes. Um, in terms of the specific reasons uh, as to why uh, Harnett served five games and why Crawford uh, will not, uh, I, I guess that remains to be seen. And, and I'm somewhat reluctant to talk about the specifics in the Crawford case because um, we are, although we received what we call a bench decision, we are still waiting for the full-blown a written opinion, and, and obviously I don't want to comment on the case if it'll uh, prejudice Sure, the case. Jason, but the, the, uh, so the general consensus is, though, that the Greg Harnett infractions were much less than what the Crawford incidents were, but yet he's the guy that serves the time and Crawford doesn't when Crawford's egregiences were more severe than what Harnett's was, and, and that's, I think, the part that people can't make sense of. Well, uh, again, I'll have a better handle on, and I'll be in a better position to answer that question when I get the um, the full blown opinion in the um, okay. in the Crawford case. And I know that 
is probably not helpful no, that's, uh, to your listeners. But I understand I mean, that, Jason. I understand you. You haven't got the sure. official thing back, so you you gotta you gotta tread lightly. Um, maybe you can explain to me and and the listeners how all of a sudden a rule that is clearly in black and white in the National Class League's rule book all of a sudden becomes, I guess, null and void, like it doesn't exist when it gets to the point where it's at an arbitrator. How is an arbitrator just allowed to say, you know what, the, I don't think that rule should apply in this, this situation. Does that not just open up a huge Pandora's box that the, anything could be appealed and go to an arbitrator and be overturned? A, a hooking call, a fighting call, a fan goes into the stands and knocks out a, or a player goes into the stands and knocks out a fan, well, the, that's in the rule book, but it goes to an arbitrator, and he says, well, you know what, there was a, there was extenuating circumstances here and and we can understand why this happened and and we're not going to penalize him for it i don't understand how a rule just doesn't become a rule because it goes to an arbitrator can you explain that sure i'd be glad to um the 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 players are obviously bound by the uh the rules and it is the league that uh, unilaterally drafts imposes the rules and unilaterally imposes uh, consequences, discipline for violation of the rules. Okay, and that's the league's uh, authority. On the other hand, uh, in the collective bargaining agreement, the players have what's called the just cause provision, and uh, that's a, a legal term. Um, and uh, the uh, you know there are many facets to uh, a just cause uh, provision, and and what that does uh, is that it, it allows. Um, a, uh, a hearing officer, as uh, the hearing officer in the Brandt case mentioned, as the hearing officer in uh, the um, the Harnett uh, decision referred to, as the hearing officers have over 20 years, uh, even though you have what appears to be a black and white rule, when you apply the uh, just cause standard, uh, there may be some uh, extenuating or mitigating uh, circumstances uh, that what warrant is, less than what is say, the, uh, what is the just cause in the, sorry Jason what is the just cause sure. in this situation what are what was the extenuating circumstances that they used to to open this window up what was the just cause in this situation. In which situation? In the Crawford situation? Yeah, why, why would the hearing officer say, well, I read you the paragraph. He didn't believe that there was intent to cause harm, which is just mind-boggling after watching the video. But what was the just cause for him to say this rule should not apply to Callum Crawford? Well, well again, that, that would be contained in his full-blown or written uh, decision. And um, we'll have to wait and see in that regard. But uh, let me just say that... Um, uh, in every case, well, I shouldn't say in every case, but in, in cases that go before a hearing officer, if you have a, a player who uh, has clearly committed an infraction, then the next question is appropriateness of the penalty. And appropriateness of the penalty is actually an element of just cause. There are several. In fact, there are uh, a number of texts and articles uh, and probably hundreds of thousands of decisions that analyze uh, that legal standard, but um, the one that you're uh, asking about is one of the elements of just cause is um, appropriateness of the penalty. In other words, does the punishment fit the crime? And what a uh, hearing officer or an arbitrator will do uh, to make that determination is consider uh, things like, um, well, in, in the lacrosse uh, scenario, 
uh, intent and uh, let's say the amount of force uh, that is used, uh, whether it's in a dead ball situation, whether the player was making a lacrosse move, the number of steps that he took, uh, where the uh, initial point of the contact was made, uh, all of those things. And, and, I mean, there are dozens and dozens of factors, but, of sure. course, every case is, is different, and you have to assess those cases on a case-by-case basis. And let me just say one thing about um, the rule that, um, you know, appears to be black and white. Mm. Um, it, it, you know, obviously, that I think you're referring to the repeat offender rule when somebody's found guilty of a 41 second yeah. match. It's an automatic. Um, you know, uh, there are occasions, uh, a rare occasion, where uh, a strict application of a rule like that would not be appropriate in the circumstances. In fact, I'll give you a, just a, a hypothetical, stark example uh, where the principle is, is obvious. Let's say that you have uh, two factory workers who get into a fist fight, and they're both terminated from employment because the company has a rule that if uh, its employees get into a physical altercation, it's automatic termination. Now, most of the time, that's the end of the inquiry. On the other hand, uh, let's assume in that same hypothetical that uh, co-worker number one, uh, completely unprovoked, uh, just attacks uh, co-worker number two and is pummeling him, and the only way co-worker two can uh, prevent serious injury to himself is to fight back, and he does so. Now, obviously, there's a question as to whether that second co-worker, co-worker number two, should be terminated under that black and white rule that seems uh, so unambiguous and yeah, so Jason, uh, that, clear. I, I don't in, know in if you can use that as an example, though, man. Like, you're talking about a player that targeted another player's head with his elbow, and that other player was defenseless. Like, he didn't even get back up and try and go back after him because his helmet went flying and he was down on the turf. So using that hypothetical as an example, I, that doesn't really... I, I, that doesn't really translate to me. That's kind of apples and oranges. Well, I, yeah, I understand. I use that hypothetical so that your listeners can understand what it means to have extenuating or mitigating circumstances. Now, obviously, uh, most of the cases that I handle in in in, in sports and, and even outside of sports uh, are not that obvious. Okay, these the circumstances are not that obvious. In fact, most of them. Uh, but that doesn't mean they do not exist. Right. And so the appeal process simply allows a player uh, to uh, ask the hearing officer to consider that which he may deem to be mitigating, extenuating. Um, uh, so th- that's why I. Um, I, I hear. Uh, that's why so, I so what that was? To sorry, I mean, yeah. what? So exactly when you guys said, "Okay, we're going to appeal this," what was the basis of your appeal? Because we've heard that. Callum Crawford's income was a factor in the appeal. We heard that his family situation, his living situation, was to be considered in the appeal. What other factors did you guys bring to the table saying, we don't think Callum Crawford should get a five-game suspension because of this, uh, be- because of these things? What What were the list of things that you guys said, this is what we're appealing and why? Well, again, I have to be careful about commenting on the Crawford case for the reasons that I previously mentioned. We're still waiting for the full-blown opinion. but um, So I can't give you the specifics, but I will tell you that uh, that case was reviewed uh, 
internally by the uh, by the players association uh, and determined that it did have uh, merit to proceed to a hearing. Again, the vast majority of suspension cases are not brought to a hearing uh, for for good reason, quite frankly. But the Crawford case, it was argued over a series of uh, uh, several hours. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm not sure that uh, I could do a justification providing all of those uh, uh, details to you in just a short time here. Okay. And here's one thing that a lot of the feedback I'm getting from the players, I know Jake's getting back from the players, you guys are really in a big uh, conflictual situation here because you've got one player who's arguing he needs his income and he shouldn't be suspended as long. But yeah, on the flip side, you've got a Bradley Cree who is oh, he could have been seriously injured here, and you've you've got a number of players who are saying, "Okay, does this mean that now that this suspension is reduced, is it open season?" And have you just compromised our safety as a result of this? So how do you deal with the conflictual side of you got one player and maybe one team that's got an interest in having him on the floor, but the bigger picture says, you know, hold on a second here, there's a safety factor involved. Yeah, I understand what appears to be an apparent conflict, and, and that apparent conflict exists in uh, every union uh, in the United States and Canada, because you have the you know one players association uh, representing uh, uh, um, several members. Well, let me just say, um, on the side of the player that is being disciplined, uh, he has a contractual right and a due process right uh, to um, give his side of the story to an independent uh, hearing officer before punishment is assessed to him. That's a basic due right due process. A right that that our players have that everybody should have in every workplace uh, and even outside of the workplace. But with respect to uh, the player safety, and I understand that concern. And you know, quite frankly, professionally, uh, for me, it's sort of a, a difficult situation to be in. But I, I have to set that aside. When you're talking about uh, uh, player safety, there are things like um, it depends specifically what you're talking about because. Uh, the Players Association is able to take active steps and bargain for um, things that um, will make it uh, safe for the players. Like, uh, for example, we've negotiated uh, provisions in the collective bargaining agreement that guarantee uh, medical coverage, that guarantee that uh, medical bills will be paid. There's uh, The teams are required to have insurance policies that the players um, have a contractual entitlement to, to be paid a portion of their salary when they're injured. They have access to uh, injury attorneys. In fact, the same injury attorneys that are used by the players in the in the National Football League. Um, so, you know, when it comes to player safety in that respect, the Players Association has, has been very active. However, when you're talking about um, player safety as it relates to uh, player conduct, uh, it's extremely important to understand that the, the Players Association has no authority whatsoever to, to govern a player conduct, either on or off the field, and that it includes when, when you have one of its members uh, injuring uh, another member. Um, the Players Association uh, is not able to negotiate any of the playing rules or the consequences of, of any violation of, of a playing rule, including a suspension. That's a, uh, a management rights um, 
prerogative, and that has been held um, by by the league for the past 20 years. I, I wish it were different, but we're not able to negotiate, um, let's say, uh, uh, penalties or suspensions or consequences. And if we were able to do that, then the players uh, themselves would have a say at the bargaining table in terms of what should happen uh, to a player who violates the rules. In fact, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, some time ago, uh, I negotiated the um, the drug policy that's in the collective bargaining agreement. We negotiated the procedure, and uh, we attempted, uh, the, the players wanted to set forth the consequences of violations uh, of that uh, policy, for example, a first-time offender, but the league uh, would not negotiate those items, um, and they it's left to their discretion and to the just cause provision in the collective bargaining agreement. Now, that's not a criticism of the league. They're simply maintaining uh, their rights as uh, as management, as the employer. Um, so uh, I'm hopeful that... Um, you know, that has answered your question. Right. Yeah, well, maybe a few clarification points on this. And these are things that just come through the woodwork as we've been going through this. First off, Bradley Cree, does he have any right to participate in the process as a impacted third party during this appeal process? Which process? During the Crawford process. Well, the, the disciplinary uh, appeal process... Uh, is there for the player that's subject to discipline. So Brad Cree may have some, or, or any other player who's injured may have uh, some other forum, but not as it pertains to the disciplinary procedure. Well, you um, made you made mention of when... injured during the process. Is, it would not be a party to the uh, to the procedure. Okay. You made mention of witnesses. So so who are the witnesses in this situation? Well, uh, again, I I won't comment specifically on on the Crawford case, but. Um, you know, ordinarily you have a, a league representative who sets forth the rationale for the discipline, the interpretation of the uh, a rule and its application. Uh, oftentimes you have uh, referees uh, who testify in the case, uh, or any eyewitness uh, for that matter is able to um, offer testimony or evidence. Uh, sometimes you have uh, the player testimony. Yeah, so could that not have okay. been Brad Cree in that situation? Could he not have testified? He was pretty much an eyewitness. Right, well, well, yeah, I guess you'd have to discuss that with him. I'm not sure how to answer okay. the question. Yeah, here, here's another thing that's there, and this is something a lot of fans and a lot of players, for that matter, have expressed concern about. Now, this is a star player having a situation and there's a lot of people out there who feel this is star treatment and, and, and that's totally fair. But now that this president's been set, if a lower end player had a repeat offense like this, the expectation would be that the same punishment would apply regardless of who the player is. Correct. Uh, I'm sorry. The, the same punishment would apply regardless of the player. Yeah, it shouldn't matter whether he's a, an MVP caliber player or a, a fringe roster player. If the infraction is level with with both players, the the penalty should be the same to both players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I understand the question. Yeah, that's true. I would agree with that. In fact, uh, in the Crawford case, uh, you know, star power was not argued by either side. That didn't even come up uh, in the hearing, and I I don't think it was a factor at all. 
Jason, okay. uh, speaking with general counsel for the Professional Players Lacrosse or Professional Lacrosse Players Association, um, what what kind of message do you think this sends to the rest of your members when you go to bat for a guy who? And and again, like I don't think anyone is is hating on Crawford here. I'm certainly not. I like Callum Crawford as a human being, but we're talking about a guy who made two really bad decisions in a two year span on two different players on two different occasions, and yet the rule that states what the penalty should be for that has been reduced because you guys appealed it. What message do you think you're sending to your other members by doing that? Do do you not kind of feel like you're saying, hey, this happened, we know it was bad, but we're going to reduce it anyway, so you you guys are kind of free to go out and, and do something stupid too, and we can probably get your penalty reduced as well. Like it... Do you know what I'm saying here, Jason? Like it, it really seems yeah, like he's opened up I, a, a big yeah. Pandora's box here, and it's going to be open season on headshots because they look at this and go, "Well, they just reduced his five game suspension to one for for two headshots in two years, so the rule book doesn't really apply." So let's let's go head hunting now. Well, uh, again, um, if those um, suspensions, the amount, the number of games were negotiated. Um, and we were able to negotiate those at the bargaining table, uh, maybe you have a different outcome uh, in the Crawford case. We're simply not able to do it. I wish we were like uh, we wanted to do with respect to the drug policy. But in terms of the message uh, that we were sending, uh, I don't know that we're sending any message other than um, the message that uh, every player in every sport, in every professional sport, in just about uh, every employee and every uh, union has a right to due process, a notice of charges, and an opportunity to be heard uh, before uh, punishment is assessed. That, that's the message that, that should be understood. Now, I'm a CPA. I always got to look back to numbers and see how this makes sense. And here's, I guess, where I'm having a bit of a problem with it. I'm assuming here Callum Crawford's making league max or pretty much league max. So had he missed these games, he would have been out with about $10,000 in salary. You're getting it reduced to two games, to about 3300 of missed salary. So you save him about $6,700. Then I think back to a guy like Carson Leung, who, to be frankly honest, because of a headshot, he is now out at least 100000 in salary, plus I don't know how much in medical bills the rest of his life. To me, the finances of defending a lost salary don't even make sense in their own right. You know, in the Carson Young case, again, um, what happened to him, the Players Association, in terms of player conduct, whether it was a penalty or whether there should have been a fine or suspension, the players do not have a say. Again, that's uh, that's a management prerogative. But in terms of uh, uh, salary, um, I don't know that that's a, a, a factor in, in disciplinary appeals. Certainly, the proposed uh, suspension of a, a five, a total of um, a six games uh, for Callum Crawford, that would be something uh, that the uh, hearing officer would consider because, for example, if that uh, suspension was upheld, that would have been the most severe suspension in the history of the league and I've been representing the players since since the inception of the league. Yeah. 
But the but the rule was in the book. Like everybody signed off on this, saying like, okay, like it's not like nobody or anybody didn't know what the the penalties were going to be if something like this happened. Like it wasn't like a big surprise. Like oh, I did this. What do you mean I get five games suspended? We've seen it happen with Greg Harnett. So it wasn't like it was a big surprise if if something bad happened that he was going to get suspended. As we speak with Jason Jaros, a couple of more minutes here. We appreciate your time uh, here on Lacrosse Classified. We won't keep you too much longer, but a a couple of more questions for sure. How, how you mentioned the two hearing officers on the panel. What is the criteria for those guys to get selected? Because after reading Andrew Brandt's um, deliberation, I guess you would call it, like I, I, I wonder, has the guy even ever seen a lacrosse game before? So, what is the criteria for selecting a hearing officer? Well, you know, the the criteria can sort of depend. Um, you know, in terms of, uh, I don't know that. Uh, well, what I can say about uh, the two hearing officers that we have is that they're highly regarded uh, attorneys in the sports industry. Uh, they understand. Um, hearing procedure, adjudication, they understand sports, they understand uh, injuries, uh, they, I mentioned they happen to be attorneys, they understand uh, uh, rules of evidence, uh, and those kinds of things. So, you know, I don't know that there's a, a checklist in terms of who, um, who can be appointed to a, uh, to a hearing officer, but that's why you have uh, both sides, uh, the league and the Players Association, we have a discussion so, uh, about the hearing officers, about their credentials, about their reputation, their uh, so are you, you know, okay, that kind are, of thing. Are you okay yeah. with his statement, his deliberation of the appeal process? Like, are you on board with all the things that he stated in that document? Well, again, I, I don't want to comment on, on what he's issued already because I'm still waiting for you know the brunt of the decision, the, the meat of the decision, but. You know, his his decision is his decision. I don't know that you know, my own personal opinion matters. Well, I, I, I mean, I just the general consensus is it's it's so far out there, like it's almost unbelievable when you read that. You don't well, you don't I'm agree with that. that? Well, I'm not sure. Again, I, I uh, when we get the full blown decision, maybe uh, it'll shed some light on any. Uh, misunderstandings or any confusion in, in what he's ruled on. But, you know, what he's provided thus far is simply that um, the hearing officer has the authority uh, to reduce uh, a suspension uh, where appropriate, and that we've known for 20 years. But his, his, biggest statement, his biggest statement, Jason, is that he believes that Callum Crawford didn't intend to cause any harm. And, and maybe Crawford didn't in his own mind, but... All you have to do is watch the two videos. The guy leaves his feet, sticks his elbow into another player's head, blindsided. How is that not intent to harm somebody? That's like that. I can't wrap my head around that. Well, I guess that's a question for the hearing officer who decided the case, and I'm hopeful he addresses it in his decision. Yeah, uh, he may or may not. Okay, I can't speak for him. Okay, all right. So. Let's move on. I, I got a whole other issue outside of Crawford that I guess it's bugging the back of my mind. You might be the person to actually answer it. And then if you ever read my stuff, I harp on attendance to death and a lot of inflated intention, uh, uh, attendance figures going on around the league. 
clearly they're not, there's a number of markets that are just not getting the number of people in the building that they're stating. Now, I think back to the CBA negotiation where you negotiated a ticket count bonus structure. Now, if, correct me if I'm wrong here, if the league is presenting an attendance figure, regardless of that person's in the seat or not, that that counts towards that bonus structure. And even if the numbers are inflated and people aren't showing up, that should still count to what a player should get for a bonus by the end of the year. Okay, again, I, I don't have the provision in front of me. I, I apologize. It's been some time since I've I've looked at that provision. But I, And what was the question relating to attendance? So, I mean, there's a lot of attendance numbers which clearly don't reflect the number of people in the building. But it's based okay. on what they announce for attendance, is it not? Or the, the, that drop count that actually counts towards the player's bonus, is it not? Well, that, yeah, I mean, that's the theory. That's what the provision says. But in terms of, uh, you know, the attendance and how we're going to count it and calculate it, that's a discussion that, you know, the association will have with the league and will uh, come up with a formula and a, uh, a way to calculate those numbers. Uh, is at this point in time, I, I just don't have a handle on it. Uh, it's a relatively new provision and hasn't come into play quite yet. So uh, maybe in the future I'd be able to, uh, provide you with more information uh, in, in in that regard. A couple more minutes here with Jason Jaros, I promise. Uh, I just kind of I, I threw out a blanket when we found out that uh, you were going to come on the podcast here, Jason, and I asked a multitude of people if they had any questions that they wanted asked and answered. And one of them was, why have the Board of Governors or the owners have not received a signed copy back from the CBA yet? Well, uh, the parties are uh, just finalizing um, some of the uh, some of the language, uh, some of the nuances. But for all intent and purposes, the uh, the uh, contract that's been ratified and the players uh, and the owners are currently operating uh, under that uh, under that contract. So the the mere signatures are, are simply a technicality. But we're still sort of fine tuning the language. Um, to make sure we get it right, obviously. Okay. And the final one was it, that... It's common. It, it happens in other uh, sports. I, I happen to represent um, professional hockey players, and I uh, represent unions outside of uh, sports. And that's that's quite, uh, common, quite okay. frankly. Okay, fair enough. And the final question I have for you, Jason, is that apparently the league has been sitting on about three rounds of expansion payments um, that have not been delivered because of what... They say, allegedly, you guys don't know how to divide those up. Can you shed some light on that? Uh, I really can. I, I guess I'd have to have a discussion with the league uh, in terms of those um, those payments. Uh, I'm not, you know, as I sit here today, I'm not quite exactly sure where we are. But uh, I'm not sure it's appropriate for me to, to comment on, uh, on that this time. Okay. Well, Jason, uh, listen, I know uh, that was probably not the easiest interview you've ever done, and, and we appreciate your time, and I know uh, there were some, some tough questions in there, and we appreciate uh, you doing your best to answer them. I know the fans uh, especially have, have a lot of questions as far as uh, how this entire process played out and, and why it went the way it did. So uh, I hope we did our best to, to explain that, as did you, and um, thanks for coming on Lacrosse Classified here. Okay, Jake and Evans, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Goodbye now.
That was Jason Jaros, the general counsel for the Professional Lacrosse Players Association, and um, that that was some good stuff in there, Evan. Yeah, I think there's still some gaps in there that uh, I still have in my mind, and obviously he's not able to answer every question. Yeah, with with not but having I, a I signed still... thing back, it's it made it a little you know he 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 couldn't or wouldn't answer anything specifically but, on, on Crawford, uh, which which kind of sucked. But but I still I, I still don't get it that how did this defense work for Crawford and not for Harnett? What's different? And that's the thing that's still overriding my head yeah. as to how a precedent is set with the first ruling officer. The second ruling officer comes and said, you know what, I'm going to throw that one out. Yeah. And, I, and I still don't have it in my head as to how this benefits the PLPA because, in my mind, Crawford has to sit those five games for the betterment of the league and the safety of the players. Yeah. The, just the optics, the just the optics alone on it are, are so bad um, that they've, they've let this happen. My biggest fear out of it all though, Evan is like, you know, for, for guys like a Brian Cole or Nick Bielich that, that have a game under their belt where they're walking on thin ice. And if they do something silly again, they're going to be in trouble do they maybe start to think, well, you know what? Look what just happened. Uh, if I do something bad again, I'll get off. You just have to appeal it, and you know we'll get the hearing officer in there, and uh, he'll he'll lessen things. No big deal. Oh. And all of a sudden, sticks start to come up. All of a sudden, elbows start to come up. Guys are turning back. Like it, it just my biggest fear is that they've opened a door here for let to let players start to go nuts. Oh, absolutely. I mean, is two games going to deter you from going after a star player? I don't think it would. And the other thing that still boggles my mind is this whole disciplinary process to begin with. And I think back to the 2017 finals, right? Jordan McIntosh gets suspended game one of the final. What happens? Immediate appeal. He gets to continue to play. And there's no way they're going to have an appeal hearing before the end of the finals. Right. Why is it he's allowed to continue in that best of three series when he's already suspended? You know, the, the NHL, the NBA, well, Major League Baseball. I'll tell you why, a few Evan. days to sort this. Yeah, I'll tell you why. It's because they don't want to lose players for important games. So they, they, open, that, they, they open that gap up. Just in case, so, you know, they can go through this process, their player can play the next one or two games, and then have to deal with the consequences if that's the case. And, and they all agree to that. So, you know, the, the owners, the, the Players Association, they all agree to that. And uh, if that's what they want to agree to, that's what they want to agree to. They're, I don't think there's much to do about that. But uh, for me, it's the hearing officer that I have probably the biggest issue with. I know the Players Association is doing their job because they have to protect their player. I feel bad for Brad Cree because nobody's really looking after his best interest in here in this situation except for paying his medical bills and, and looking after him that way. Um, so they're just they're doing their due diligence. The league kind of has to wash their hands with it once it goes to op- arbitration. There's not much they can say or do. But this hearing officer, you know, this panel of two guys, this is what this is what kind of you know gets my back up a little bit. I mean, I often, I really wonder whether or how many lacrosse games this Andrew Brandt has actually watched because for him no. to say what he said in his 
his uh, deliberation is is just like it's so far out there. I don't know how. It's like he's never seen a game before. And people found this on his own Twitter feed. That and this was about four years ago. He oh, yeah. was making comments about Odell Beckham. That Odell Beckham Jr. has to be suspended because he just did a targeted headshot. I don't believe. I can't believe for two seconds he actually wrote that one paragraph in the ruling saying that. This in no way compromises player safety. It does. Let's just be flat out blunt. It does. Big time. And there's going to be the next incident, and we're all going to be telling the league we told you so. Well, but you know what? I can't blame the league here because the league did their job. The league issued the suspension. Right. That they were supposed to. Yeah, I think I think people need to be clear on that, right? Like, I, I think everybody's done their job here. It's just the process that is flawed, and it's flawed majorly um regardless uh, evan we've run super long here with jason jaros so we appreciate his time we got to get to break uh and then we got uh, stampy tax who you got coming up uh to wrap up the podcast thanks for hanging with us here on extreme threads lacrosse classified we'll be back right after this pure vital labs is proud to bring you the highest quality sports supplements on the market PVL products are 100% all-natural with no artificial flavors, colors, or sweeteners. And the entire line is also Informed Choice certified. We designed all our products with the athlete in mind. We look forward to being a part of your athletic achievements, helping you push the bar higher, win at the highest levels, and set personal records for years to come. Hey, this is Nick Rose, goaltender for the Toronto Rock. You're listening to Lacrosse Classified on the Laps All-Stars Podcast Network. Welcome back to Lax Class Lacrosse fans. Uh, thanks to our friends at Pure Vital Labs. Anything else should be on Sportsman like all-natural, pro-church certified. Tons of lacrosse players on the supplements, uh, including Evan Schemenauer, uh on the PVL supplements. Uh, how's it going with that, Evan? Are you still holding holding steady? We're still holding steady, but considering I put on so much weight over the years before that, yeah. holding steady is a vast improvement. Well, I can tell you after three months of uh, on the treadmill, three months of eating salad every day, uh, gaining weight is much, much easier than losing weight. I can tell you that for sure after extensive research that I've done over the last three months. But I can also tell you that uh, if you exercise and eat properly, losing weight is possible. Uh, not to strain my elbow, patting myself on the back here, Evan, but I am I am down about 25 pounds in the last three months uh, following a... Congrats. Healthy lifestyle. Yeah, no, and uh, I, I want to. I want to keep going. I want to. I start like I could. I stepped on a scale three months ago, and it'd probably been about eight years since I'd stepped on a scale previous to that, and I could not believe my eyeballs what what the number read back to me. So uh, that kind of opened my eyes and and got me on. Uh, Got me on the path here a little bit, and uh, now I kind of feel like I'm, I've crossed the threshold. Like now it's become routine instead of having to think about it. And um, so things are going well, and I'm going to try to keep going. Uh, hashtag Tarps Off 2020. We'll see what happens. And maybe just got to get you on some carnitine and whatnot and just help you give a little, maybe a little bit more of a push to get that metabolism mm, up. And yeah. If I could get it some works. Mer- it does work. Yeah. So maybe our next uh, prize giveaway, we're going to reach out to the folks at PVL and uh, maybe we'll come up with a PVL prize pack 
for the next time somebody wants to to make me or you look stupid on social media. How about that? Uh, speaking. <laughs> Speaking of social media, follow our friends at Stampede Tack because they sponsor this award-winning edition of Who You Got? And it's presented by Stampede Tack and Western Wear. Your complete source for boots. Huge selection. I'm talking huge. If you've never been in Stampede Tack and Western Wear out there in beautiful Cloverdale, it is a massive store. It is huge out there in Cloverdale, and it is full of cowboy boots and blundstones out there as well. Birthday's coming up, Evan. I hear I'm getting a pair. I'm quite excited about it. They are CSA approved. They ship Canada-wide, and you can find them online at stampede.ca. Shopping online, still shopping local. Just four games here in a week 16 of the National Cross League, Evan. Uh, you got the five-game lead, so I cannot catch you. Even if you go four or zero oh and four, and I go four and zero, oh, which is really unlikely the way the last three weeks have gone here and who you got. But uh, let's see how this week goes. Uh, first up, Philadelphia at Toronto. Evan, who you got? Toronto's coming off perhaps the worst weekend they possibly could. I think they got a little bit of revenge. In, uh, coming at this this weekend plus i'm in the lead i can start taking favorites and force mm. you to take uh, underdogs to try and catch up i'm taking the rock yeah you're right uh, don't forget remember the last time these two te- was it the last time these two teams played in toronto philadelphia had that late lead and they turned it over schreiber came down the floor they tied it send it to overtime end up winning in overtime so Toronto was right there with, uh, or Philadelphia was right there with Toronto in that one. That was early in the year. Toronto coming off with two really disappointing losses. We still don't know if Adam Jones is going to be back in the lineup. Not sure what's going on there in Toronto, and I'm down five games. So give me Philadelphia. Why not? Ooh. What do I got to lose? Okay, I got nothing to lose here, Evan. <laughs> Philadelphia. Give it to other me. than a quick, other than early retirement on this one. Well, hey, uh, I got. I got to do what I got to do here. I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to make up any ground picking the same teams as you. San Diego at Calgary Seals in first place. Calgary sitting at a cool 500, seven and seven. Seals eight and four. Big game in the rough house. I expect a huge crowd for this one in Calgary on Saturday night. San Diego at Calgary. Evan, who you got? Tough one. Very tough one. And I honestly considered flipping the coin, but I'm not going to go that direction. Simple thing is, when you have a close game like this and you can't figure out who you're going to pick, take the home team. I'll take the Roughnecks. Give me San Diego. Uh, You might see how this strategy of mine is working here so far, Evan. Uh, Give me San Diego there in first place. Coming off a win. Uh, Let's see how much longer it stays. Coming (laughs) off a win over Saskatchewan. uh, See if the Seals can keep it rolling. Give me the Seals over Calgary. Two more games to go, and... I will be calling this one. You will be at this game. My my lady's actually coming to Saskatoon with me, Evan. I was going to mention that to you oh, before okay. we got on the call here. So she may need a, a well, I'll have ticket. To take, I'll have to be your tour guide or something for yeah. the weekend. But, yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'll look forward to that. Uh, she can hopefully sit with you during the game here as well. Vancouver at Saskatchewan. Remember, Vancouver coming off that 0-2 previous weekend. Their playoff hopes are diminishing quickly. Worse. At the rush, Evan, who you got? 
I'm going to bunt on this one. I'm going to take the rush knowing you're taking the rush, and I'm not going to lose a game on oh, this one. Oh, man. I was really hoping you'd take the Warriors, Evan. I was really hoping you'd just take the Warriors for me, but apparently you're not my friend. You know I have to take the rush. So uh, there's our one and probably only similar pick here as we'll move into our final game on Stampede Text. Who you got? Rochester at New England. It's a Sunday affair from the casino. Callan Crawford will be back in the lineup for the Black Wolves. Evan, Nighthawks at the Black Wolves. Who you got? It's a Sunday game. It's in New England. Callan Crawford's back. He's probably going to be a little pissed off. Which Rochester team are we going to get? Are we going to get the one from two weeks ago who almost pulled a couple upsets off? Are we going to get the one that crashed and burned in the second half? I don't know if it matters. I'm going to take New England on this one. You just don't bet against New England on home on a Sunday. Well, I'm going to bet against New England at home on a Sunday because I think that bubble is ready to burst here. Uh, I think that trend is ready to be bucked, Evan. So give me the Nighthawks at New England on Sunday afternoon. Recapping quickly, Evan, you've got a five-game lead on me here as we move into Week 16. Philly at Toronto, I got the Wings, you got the Rock. Seals at Calgary, I got the Seals, you got the Roughnecks. Warriors at Saskatchewan, we both took the Rush. Nighthawks at the Black Wolves. You took the Wolves, I took the Hawks here this week in who you got. Uh, that was a big show that we just did right there. Big thanks to Steve Deep Fryer and PLPA General Counsel Jason Jaros. Hopefully uh, we answered all, if uh, not many, of your questions and hopefully maybe cleared things up a little bit on how the process works, why it happened, what happened, all that sort of stuff. Uh, we did our best anyway, and we appreciate you tuning in. So thanks to Jason Jaros and Steve Fryer for coming on the show. Thanks to you, the listener, as always, for checking out Lacrosse Classified every single week right here on Lacrosse All-Stars Podcast Network. Our lovely sponsors, of course, Extreme Threads, Associated Labels and Packaging, Pure Vital Labs, and Stampede Tack and Westernware. Don't forget to spar- subscribe to the podcast. That's the word I'm looking for. Subscribe to that podcast, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes. We are everywhere. Follow us on social media. Evan is at Shem Lax. I am at PXP for sports. And the show is at Lax Class. For Evan Sheminar, I've been Jake Kelly. And for the fastest game on two feet, I'm for the creator. Talk to you next time here on Extreme Threads, Lacrosse Classified on the Lacrosse All-Stars Podcast Network.